Corpendium Spotlight. Hey, I'm Rap listeners, it's Jesse Werner, and we have a Corpendium Spotlight today with Dr. Sean Nort. Nort. And he's our wonderful PharmD, MD, ER physician who's going to talk to us today about Ketafol. Ketafol. And this is something, Sean, that I've had some questions about because I feel like ketamine is. It's like TXA, like everybody loves it. It's good for everything. There's nothing you can't use it for. And a lot of the residents have been asking me recently, what do you think of Ketafol? So my first question is, do you use Ketafol? I do. And Ketafol, really, you can think of it as if people remember the triple rule out when we were going to get the CT, that was a CT coronary and was a CTPA and would rule out an aortic dissection all at the same time. And we're like, this is going to be the perfect test. And it wasn't. So this was not going to be the perfect procedural sedation drug, and it's not. But I do like it, and I do like it for certain situations. I like it particularly for painful procedures and painful orthopedic procedures because the benefit that's always been purported, which I think can get borne out with these select cases, is propofol does not have analgesia. If you're getting analgesia from that, you are approaching general anesthetic doses. I mean, that's just the reality. If your patient's not moving with pain and they don't have anything else on, it's probably because the doses you're using are high enough to approach general anesthesia. Ketamine has very good analgesia, as you know, but some of the downsides of that is it can cause vomiting. And if you look at the studies, the studies show most things are not different if you use these by themselves or together. Ketafol, I mean. So time to discharge, really no difference. Time to onset, really no difference. But if you look at it, more respiratory depression generally happens when propofol is used by itself. More GI effects and the emergent stuff can happen a little bit more with ketamine. But on balance, and for everybody listening who does this a lot, will say, hey, they don't really see much of a benefit of ketafol. And I would agree with them in most cases. But again, when we come to those painful procedures, I like to use it, and I have a very particular way. I'm not saying it's the perfect way, but I have a way that I have used Ketafol over many years that I think works well for those types of procedures. And I want to hear about that. I guess I should start by just reminding listeners what exactly we're talking about. And of course, we're talking about ketamine, and we're talking about propofol, and we're talking about using them together. So correct me if I'm wrong, but this is how I was always taught. Ketamine, if you're going to use it for, we're generally talking about a procedural sedation here. I was always taught to maybe use like one mig per keg. And when using propofol, same thing. I was always taught to use like one mig per keg. And then this concept of ketofol came around and the concept was you can use a half a mig per keg of each, thereby getting less of the bad side effects, i.e. the respiratory depression and the emergence reactions and the vomiting and more of the good stuff. So you get the muscle relaxation from the propofol and you get a little bit of pain control from the ketamine, and it was supposed to be sort of this magical combination. Does that sound like what you think of it as? That is. Uh, I usually would use a little bit higher with ketamine by itself. I might start with two milligrams per kilo, particularly for a painful procedure. Propofol, I think it's very tight tradable. You have to be careful with the hypotension, right? If you give them two milligrams per kilo as a bolus or a fairly short time in between them getting that full dose, they probably are going to get a little bit of respiratory depression, maybe even some apnea, maybe some low blood pressure. So I agree with you with the one milligram. Now, when I started, I started with the 0.5 of each, and I started with it all in one syringe. 
Okay. I've completely gone away from that. I'm not a big fan of the one syringe. I think a lot of the studies were done in the one syringe, and I think that's less than ideal. And generally, I am using one milligram per kilo of each one of these drugs when I'm using them as a combination. So let's talk about that painful procedure, because I do think that is probably the most common scenario. I would say most of the time what we're doing is like a a painful ortho procedure where we're reducing an ankle or, you know, it's a complex fracture, open joint, something like that. So talk to me about how you like to use it. So it all depends if I'm doing the procedure by myself or if I'm doing the sedation and I have an orthopedic resident or some other colleague or even one of the emergency medicine residents doing the fracture reduction. I think in that situation, I find it much more titratable for me if I'm doing it. So how I generally approach this is, of course, I have them on the monitor and everything else. I do use N-Tidal CO2, and I'll get to that, why I like to do it for a couple of reasons, not just looking for increase in the N-Tidal. But I will give them an initial dose of one milligram per kilogram of ketamine. And that's how I'll start off. And usually that'll give them a decent level of sedation for me. And you're doing that nice and slow so you don't get laryngospasm? I am. So that laryngospasm is, uh, of course, one of, we talked about some of the side effects, but that can happen with ketamine. And I know Ruben Strayer did a great piece recently on that. In any event, that can happen. But I will tell you, every med except for adenosine and sodium bicarbonate for a tricyclic antidepressant poisoning should always be slow push. That's from a pharmacist telling you. So this is a slow IV push. And then I get the level of sedation and say, okay, let's start. And then I will titrate that propofol. And if it's going to be a fairly short procedure, which most of them are, I may not need to give them any additional ketamine. Because the ketamine, both of them have pretty fast onset, right? Propofol is within 10 seconds, maybe 30 seconds, and it goes away pretty quick. Ketamine, you'll read about 30 seconds, but maybe sometimes it's even a minute, right, before the person's really at the level that you feel. And then they may take a few more minutes to wake up, definitely more than propofol. And that's sort of the benefit. So I like to front load them with the ketamine, knowing that as I get towards the end of the procedure, that if I'm just using the propofol, and then they start coming up, that ketamine's probably going away, but they're still getting some of the analgesic effect. Because remember, the analgesic effect is the subdissociative dosing, right? We're using one milligram per kilo, maybe 1.5, even sometimes two milligrams per kilo of ketamine. They're getting a lot of analgesia from those lower doses. So as that therapeutic concentration is coming down for the level of sedation that you need, they are still having ongoing analgesia. So that is a good thing to keep in your mind. And that's why I like to front load them. And then I just do that propofol. And I am watching the monitor, but I mentioned about the end title. So of course, we want to make sure the end title is not going up. But when you see their end title is going down, like 8, 10, but they still look like they're asleep, they're having pain. That is a pain response. Their respiratory rate is increasing. And usually you'll notice that the heart rate's going up. So I use that as a titration effect too. I tried saying, hey, this person's probably going to start waking up because their heart rate's going up, their end title's going down, and they're probably having some noxious stimuli. So I'll use that. So let's say everything's done, but I think, hey, this is going to be a painful procedure afterwards. I might give them a dose of hydromorphone, maybe 0.5, right as they start coming up to carry them over. The other thing, though, to remember is with these painful procedures, right, you'll see this. They start waking up. People keep hitting them with doses, hitting them with the doses. Now you've got the fracture reduced. You've got it splinted. They have no more sympathetic drive, and they become apneic right? Mm -hmm. So that is another reason why I like to have the ketamine front-loaded 
And then I will just titrate to that effect with the propofol because once that noxious stimuli stops, I've got all this met on board, including propofol, but the ketamine that's going to have them sedated, not the respiratory depression, but I'm not hitting with all these meds. And you've probably seen this. I've done it, right? Uh, Definitely earlier in my career, I say, oh, I'm going to hit them with this big dose of procedural sedation med right towards the end of the procedure. Everybody walks out the room and then I'm there for 15 minutes with the nurse waiting for the person and, you know, doing jaw thrust maneuvers or kind of saying, hey, am I going to have to do something here? So that's kind of the way that my practice has evolved over time with Ketafol. That's the way that I use it most commonly, and the residents who work with me have seen that's generally how I like to use it. So let me just clarify a couple things there. So you're starting off with a reasonable dose of ketamine. You said one mg per kg to kind of start off. And that's mostly to, as you said, to sedate the patient. And you also get some pain control, and you start with that. And then when you actually need some muscle relaxation to actually do the reduction is kind of when you're adding in your propofol. Is that sort of the way that you're thinking about it? And then as the patient's waking up, you may give them a dose of hydromorphone or fentanyl. That's exactly right. Because their tone, and you'll see this, right? Your orthopedist is going to say, or they'll say to me, right? Like, hey, aren't you going to give propofol? I say, I will. But let's just get them to a level of sedation. Let's get their pain under control. And then I do the propofol because you're going to have a much tougher procedure, right? And you've probably seen this. If you've used ketamine for some of these, a shoulder reduction, right? You might have to go pretty high on that dose because they're almost fighting you, right? right? So you do need that muscle relaxation benefit from it. So it's not like I just do the ketamine and I come back 10 minutes later with the propofol. I mean, this is all happening in fairly real time, fairly quickly, but I do like them to get to a good level of sedation with the ketamine and then start my propofol. And I do the titration, and I will probably use that whole dose of the one milligram per kilo over that procedure and have another one ready to go, right? You don't want to be scrambling, asking your nurse to get it out of the Pixis or your pharmacist is drawing up. So I would have two milligram per kilo on hand of each drug. Yeah. And then hopefully you won't need it, but it's there if you do. Totally agree. Let me ask you, in your experience, have you found that you either A, get less emergence reaction? or B, less respiratory depression? Because I think those are the two side effects that we're really worried about when we're using these drugs for procedural sedation. So I agree. Now, of course, I'm going to be honest, right? I'm a researcher. So everybody listening, these are anecdotal experiences by Sean Nort, okay? So I'm not telling that this is a controlled trial, but I definitely see less respiratory depression, hands down. I will say no doubt. And meta-analysis after meta-analysis has shown that. The emergent stuff, I talk to the patients a lot before. I kind of tell them what to expect. I tell them, hey, your eyes might be weird, right, as they kind of come out. And I try to talk to them. I usually try to be at the head of the bed and gently have them come out. And everybody knows about the debate of midazolam or some other benzo, really not great data to say, hey, pre-treating them with it or giving it to them at the end, whether it does it or not. I think as long as the person feels safe when they come up, that'll probably go a lot longer way than using ketamine alone or what, whatever. I don't think that that's it. I think it's situational okay. a lot. And I think the propofol does help me do that because I can kind of gently bring them up a little bit rather than just ketamine alone. Yeah. So again, I cannot give you great, even anecdotal experience that say, hey, oh, it's so much less because actually I don't see the emergence phenomenon all that much, to be honest, even as a toxicologist seeing people get high on this. I mean, they can act wild, but they don't usually, they're not out and then have the emergence phenomenon. But absolutely, it can happen 
We've all seen it happen, and you should anticipate that it could happen. But I think that is a role for propofol, too. Okay, that's really helpful and some great information. Now, you are sort of alluding to other situations where you may use ketofol, but you may use it differently. When else are you using ketofol or using it differently? And this might be when you're in a single coverage type situation or it's just you and the nurse. Tell me what you're thinking there. I I know for everybody who's listening who does single coverage and we as faculty, we work by ourselves Mm -hmm. periodically. So it does happen. So I know that I am talking about me titrating almost like an anesthesiologist. I mean, what, what I am doing is basically acting like an anesthesiologist. I'm not calling myself an anesthesiologist, but it's kind of that approach is, is how I'm doing it. If I'm solo coverage, I am going to do pretty much the same, but just instruct the nurse to give the propofol, but it's probably going to be a little bit more bolus, it's probably going to be a little more frequent, and maybe another dose of ketamine. If I'm the only one with just me and a nurse and maybe RT, and I'm doing, let's say, the shoulder reduction, or I'm doing a fracture dislocation reduction or something like that, I will do it a little bit different. I cannot, maybe somebody out there can, but I just can't titrate it to the level that I can when I have the orthopedist or somebody else doing that procedure. Yeah. Okay. Makes perfect sense. The other thing I wanted to ask you here is ketamine alone and propofol alone, specifically for these kinds of painful, generally orthopedic procedural sedation type situations. Are there times where you're just using ketamine alone? Are there times where you're just using propofol alone? Absolutely. So if they're fairly quick, I like ketamine. I know a lot of our orthopedic colleagues, and they're the ones who are doing the pulling or pushing or whatever. Very often they get a little concerned when they say, hey, we're doing this with ketamine only. Could you give some propofol? And look, they're helping me. I'm helping them, right? So I'll meet them in the middle. I will do propofol, but remember everybody, and you know this, that it does not have analgesia. So I'm going to give them a dose of Fent, most likely because Fent has a more favorable hemodynamic profile. If I get painted in a corner, hopefully it goes away pretty quick. Because the last thing I want to do is start giving someone naloxone, reversing that pain med, and just kind of starting this. You know, you never want to give an antidote for the drug that you're, right? Right. If you're doing a drug for a procedure, you don't want to have to give an antidote and then reverse it. And then what are you like? It's just this vicious cycle because now they're in pain. Now you're going to give them more pain meds and all this other stuff. So that's what I would do. But if I think it's going to be a very short procedure, I might do propofol alone with a little fent, right? And that's why I said in the beginning, this is not to say that everybody should be doing ketofol, right? right? Or ketofol. This is, if you have never used it, I would choose your adventure, right? There's different ways you can do it. There's all these dosages from 0.5 milligram per kilo, 0.75 milligram per kilo, one milligram per kilo. So I would do a little dose finding and experience finding. And if you have somebody in your department who's very familiar with it, that can guide you, I think that that is something really good. You never want to, at least this is how I practice emergency medicine, I never want to throw drugs away. Yeah. Yeah right? Yeah. And I never have, so people always ask me like, what's your go-to for the agitated patient? Are you a B-52 guy? Or, and I said, it all depends, Yeah. right? Because if they're a drug-induced psychosis from a sympathomimetic, they need dopamine antagonism. They need haloperidol or gepirdol. You can give them benzos all day long, right? And Zyprexa, in my opinion, is not a great choice for that person. But if it's a person who's just escalating a little bit, right, because they want to have their cigarette and they maybe have schizophrenia, Zyprexa might be a better drug right? So similarly with this, I think that it has a limited role, but I definitely think it has a role. So I know some people said, hey, I I tried it. I don't like it. I'm not going to use it anymore. I think it's just another thing to have in your toolkit for those cases, as we were discussing, painful, that might go on a little bit longer, that you can titrate with the propofol once the ketamine has good sedation and good analgesia, 
And then ideally, you can finish it up nice and then get back to work. I love it. It's always so interesting to speak with you. Thank you so much for taking the time. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Mm-hmm.